get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good morning and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Sorry it's been a minute since I've been on the airwaves, but um, had some had some issues. Well, not really issues, just um, as a lot of comedians like to say, grown folks shit. So here we are at 11 o'clock in the a.m. on Sunday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to us as we give you the other side of the story than the mainstream media and other news outlets and just kind of give you my spin on the world as a whole. So we're going to be joined a little bit later on in the show, perhaps not too much later on, by uh, Josh Revolution. And um, as you guys have heard in the past before, I've got an in-studio guest this morning with us, uh, Alan Brown, who's come by to uh, drop his knowledge on all of us, because we're going to get into a little bit of the economy. We're going to get into nationalism and why nationalism is a, a very dangerous thing and, and how we have seen, or at least how I've seen, the the idea of nationalism propagate, uh, whether it's in sports, whether it's in the, um, you know, the, the rah-rah America team, or whether it comes out of something like um, geopolitics, where we're always the good guys, or where it comes out of stuff like media, where the cops are always the good guys, and the government's always good, unless you watch The Wire, and then then all bets are off. But joining um, me this morning is uh, Alan Brown, so uh, say hello to everybody, Alan. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing out there? Oh, hopefully everybody's doing all right. It's um. It's been a it's been an interesting week. We'll we'll just put it that at that, and then uh, an even interesting night last night with the uh, with a little one not really sleeping, and uh, yeah. So here we are, everybody. And hence, I didn't have a lot of time for show prep because we were chasing the little one around. But that's no excuse. Uh, we are still going to break down some of the interesting things that I saw over the past week in news, as well as. Um, as well as where all this stuff is headed. But first, let's get into nationalism and and why I always kind of poo-poo the notion of nationalism. There, There is really nothing inherently wrong with loving the area in which you live. That's the way that I see it. I, I see the the rolling hills of Georgia and, you know, the, the cicadas in the summer. Things that, things that actually add value to my life and make me feel better. Uh, not only just about the place that I live, but um, but also about the the freedom that actually I inherited through um, constitutional republic set up two hundred years ago. Almost said two thousand years ago. That would have been that would have been nice. But um, when you look at the idea of nationalism, it starts to become dangerous when it's blind nationalism. We saw this with uh, we saw this with Soviet Russia. We saw this with Nazi Germany, and typically what happens in authoritarian regimes is that you have hyper-nationalism and then hyper-nationalism backed up by totalitarianism. And, and it's kind of creeping towards that way in, in America, although we are seeing <clears throat> some really good reversals like, the, um, like the, um, the Supreme Court ruling that we had last week. Or I think it was nine to zero, uh, ruling against cops um, having to, having to, or having the ability to tap your phone without getting a warrant. Does that mean that they're going to stop doing it? Absolutely not. Kind of like when you outlaw murder, people are still going to murder. It's just that um, now you got to catch them. So it's going to be a similar situation to that because, you know, I can understand the double-edged sword of the police department that uh, you probably want to catch them, but. Um, I would push to the idea that let's start going after more violent offenders rather than nonviolent spectator offenders like we see here, um, even in Georgia where this baby that was – no, and I'm not trying to psych warfare you people. This is actually um, a true thing. It was a – I think it was a six-month-old, maybe, maybe a year-old um, toddler that uh, had a flashbang thrown in its crib and blew up in its crib and damaged the child, and the child is still in um, – 
still in the hospital, and, and it was all because a cop bought a small amount of meth at this place uh, a week before, so they thought that they were going to come in and uh, and be heroic and, and raid these people. And in essence, what happened was that they um, they put a, they put a child at risk. So I'm asking, when you're talking about nationalism, and this is kind of tying it in, the idea that that the state is going to be the the mother and father of of you, and that we have to protect the nation state, and it really gets kind of scary when you talk, talk about homeland security, why it's even called the homeland. So. As we see increasing nationalism, I see increasing threats on my civil liberties and my um, ability to be an individual, and you combine that with the media and, and all the other aspects that, that channel into this idea that the American exceptionalism, which was pushed uh, you know, from the 1950s on, and we are nowhere near the exceptionalist nation that we were then, you become – you become decadent, and we're also running into a, a challenge of getting people to understand that this is not the free country that it once was as we see the borders being opened up and, and people just saying, hey, we just need to – we just need to – you know, come on. This is – these are just people. Well, I understand that they're just people, but here, I'm going to switch it over to, to Alan really quick because, Alan, you got, um, you got a degree in economics, which means you got a piece of paper that hangs on the wall. But, um, it's a very nice piece of paper, though. And it's very expensive, too. So um, discuss um, briefly if we can take it to a, to a macroeconomics level um, for, all of the, um, for all of the liberals out there. Do not like to hear us talk about uh, I, I know you guys don't like to hear us talk about economics because you guys all think it's silly and that there should be equal uh, outcome. Rather, But uh, if you listen to this show enough, you, you kind of understand where I'm going with this. The more that you have an individual right to choose and the individual right to do things, the better your society is going to be because the group as a whole – once again, collectivism isn't a bad word. The group as a whole or the collective of individuals, uh, a.k.a. the Lego movie, which I saw the other day and was fantastic. Everything is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was very, very, very true to form. But um, that's what we're, we're kind of getting at here is that the individual more, – the more you empower the individual, which was the Founding Fathers' idea, the more you empower the individual, the society is going to be. Of course, you're going to have some bumps along the way. Yes, you're going to have a little bit more crime, just like we talk about an anarcho-capitalist society. Yes, you're going to have more centralized and not like these organized crime syndicates that hide around badges and shields and, um, and government agencies that, that run loose today. So, Alan, let's talk about the ramifications, seeing as though we just basically called out everybody in, in the government. You did. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the ramifications of, um, of an influx of unskilled labor to, to an economic system and what it, what it does to, um, to the society as a whole. I think that that's probably our biggest problem as a country as of right now, where we don't have enough skilled workers to meet the demand for the high-paying jobs that are out there. There is definitely, definitely a surplus amount of positions out there to where if we could create the education, the training, the skills necessary and you know, collect this talent and, and train them, we could find plenty of work for a lot of people out there. But the reality is, is that the path to get there has been obviously restricted and um, – I'm not sure of a good word to use. I use the word Heisman all the time because it basically just shows that stiff arm there to where the, the person with authority does not allow you to get to that position because they don't want you to outsmart them and get the jobs out there that would create that financial freedom or that uh, ability to where you could determine your own success. But we have a tremendous amount of uh, influx of unskilled people coming into this country. We already have a surplus of individuals are just no longer – there with the skills necessary. A lot of people uh, wonder what's what's happened to the manufacturing world in this country, and the fact is is that those those jobs, that concept of working in an assembly line, has been completely replaced by technology, robots, or just minimized by management in the sense that we can do more with less. So it's it's very scary. You create so many problems on a nationwide, global scale. And obviously it affects you on the local economy as well because you're not able to provide for your family. Um, the, the concept is is that, <sighs> I don't know, it's, it's very sad to think about. It's very difficult to get around it. But if you can somehow find a way to get education back into these people and get them comfortable with the technology out there, 
um, there is hope. There is opportunity. But the reality is, is that the government does not want you to necessarily educate yourself or get there because they like knowing the fact that they have, you have to rely on them mm-hmm. in order for you to make it through the end of the day. This is a very scary situation. We've got too many people in this country trying to support so many. I'm sorry, we've got too few people trying to support too many people that are dependent upon us few that can provide for ourselves and then needing the rest of our tax money to go to them to support them is very scary, very scary. Well, yeah, and we've seen this over and over in um, in countries <clears throat> around the world. I mean, if you look at Italy in the 1970s, you guys um, have heard me talk about that at nauseum because it's a, it's a really prime example of when you have an aging an aging middle class, and then you have a, a, a younger class that isn't that isn't skilled. They're not making enough money, and they're most of the most of them aren't even working at this point. They're just Either either going and working um, part time jobs or they're living at their at their parents' house in their basement, and you know that's a that's a microcosm of an economic system that we're facing now where it's where it's pushed towards this idea of globalization. And you guys hear me talk about this at nauseum. And I I, I would be for globalization if these countries were coming in with an idea of freedom and an idea of individual rights and, 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 and workers' rights and things like that. Not workers' rights in, in the fact of a union, but the fact of a, a contract work. But we don't have that. Nations around the world typically fall under one of two categories. They're either in a, in a socialist um, regime or they're in a, rep- a repressive regime, So and they've been in repressive regimes for a long time. So they don't really have a, a foundation like we have here in America, and we actually have reaped the benefits – of um of having these um these things steadfast in society where where we have a, a constitution that was that was the overall you know law of the land for a long time and not the saying that a constitutional republic is the the ultimate idea of a free society but at least it gives the idea of checks and balances and and the rule of law and then now we're seeing it spent or spin or spun excuse me good gosh it is early everybody uh, we're seeing it spun to the fact that you know, if we don't if we don't take these immigrant workers in, then then we're then we're heartless. No, we just understand the big picture and the ramifications of what happens when we take in a bunch of of unskilled labor is that it drives down wages, it drives down morale for society, and now you have a, a, a basically an open ticket to having these people come into to the U.S. and and they'll get on government welfare because they don't have any skill, they don't have any they don't have any uh, work experience. They can't communicate, and so the only thing that they're going to be able to do is go through government assistance, which means that that's more for the middle um, the middle class to pay for. And remember, the upper class never pays for this stuff. They, if anything, they get the benefits of having a depleted middle class because then they can set up monopolies, as we're seeing all over the world now or all over the corporate America, as um, especially in my industry, as the telecoms are starting to gobble up each other, and we're starting to move towards this idea that we're going to have three choices, which anybody that followed Soviet Russia understands that that's where this stuff leads. It's corporatism. It's um, whatever you want to call it, crony capitalism. It's the idea that that government and corporations can set up a society that will be beneficial for for the end user or for the for the end worker, and that's never the case. It's only beneficial for the ruling class, for the oligarchs. That's why they made it up. It's not rocket science. If you look at how you know the um, the Middle Ages uh, set up the idea of um, of the uh, the working class or or the the peasant class becoming the working class and just charging them uh, rent on their on their farms and property, then that's where all this stuff stems from. And it's still the same battle that we fought, you know, over a thousand years ago. We're just fighting it in a different way now with the with the high tech propaganda of of nationalism and saying this is what America is. We're we're compassionate. You know, just be compassionate. What? How can you turn these people away? They're children. And then you're going to hear the talking point of the children, the children, the children. And Obama had the children up there. So what they do is they utilize this as a, as a weapon of psychology to push on you as the as the individual, especially um, especially mothers, because they understand the benefit of having a, a child and they understand what it takes to raise and protect a child. So it really that propaganda is totally targeted toward the females, and um, uh, unfortunately, women that um, you you really can't overcome the psychology of 
of of a of a child in need because it's um it's really ingrained into your into your operating system. There's nothing you can really do. Go ahead, Alan. No, absolutely. The the appeal to ethos there is is vital because um you know when selling propaganda we talked about earlier you have to appeal to the emotions you have to be able to try and see if you can hit them in the heart and allow them create that illusion for them to easily empathize with your situation and to get your selling point across um there's so much that it takes to run a successful country as far as to meet the supply and demand of the labor force but when you have so many people out there with so few little work that they can step right into um You've got tremendous amount of uh, adversity to overcome on the selling point to try and get them to continue to come in because at the end of the day, um, there's incentive. There's incentive for the progressive movement to allow for these um, immigrants to come into their country because they know that it's a vote. And as long as you have a system to where it's like, hey, all I need are the numbers in order to keep my job and keep in position, why not let them in? Why not let them come in and uh, help out my greater cause? I'm going to make an empty promise to them. But the reality is, is that as long as they can come in and they can become dependent upon me, I'll get their vote in return. And that's that little incentive for them is just enough for them to go ahead and create the the uh, illusion that this is a good thing. And it's it's scary because the reality is, is that there are plenty of good people that do come into this country. And a long time ago, there was plenty of good work for them to do, work that you and I would probably not do because of how difficult the conditions were. These are really good people. But the reality is, is that... Those jobs are far and few between now, and now they come over here and realize quickly that there is no hope. It's really not that much better from where they came. So here they are already asking for a help or a shout-out, and next thing you know, we've got another person in the pool of the downward cycle <laughs> tsunami that uh, may fall victimized to. Well, that's a that's a really good transition. We actually didn't set that up, but um, we're going to read uh, this article, and, and just to clarify everybody – um, most of these people that are coming here are women and children, and I'm not saying that women are unskilled laborers, but what you're, what you're looking at is that if you have mothers of two and three children and they're actually sending children over un- unaccompanied, so that's a, and that's a strong factor in and of itself because now you don't have a mother and a father figure, and that brings in a whole other realm of psychology to who's going to raise the child. Well, we all know that if children that are raised by the state are seven times more likely to be abused. So it's, um, it's setting up a bad precedent, and, and as Alan said, what they're utilizing it as is a, is a voting block to, to influx and then to use that as a voting block to take away civil liberties, and the way that they're going to do that is by giving this idea that collectivism is for the greater good, and that's the, the pitch that's always going to be sold. And it's um, and once again, it's not saying that the women are unskilled, but currently if you get a bunch of children in here, those are unskilled laborers, and, and they probably may not even become skilled because if they get put onto government assistance, if they go through public education, the odds are that they're not going to push through and be successful. Of course, you have your, your exceptions to the rule. But the but the rule would be if you're a if you're an immigrant and you have and you have not a lot of drive and you're raised by the state, then your loyalty is typically going to be to the state. And once again, you're seven times more likely to be abused. Than Correct. You're it's, setting you're setting a bad you're setting up for failure basically. It's just seen as a statistic. That's it. You're right. just seen as a more than likely seven times out of ten you are going to help out my cause versus the alternative. Mm-hmm. So why not? If you knew seven out of ten chances. It's going to improve your situation. It's going to give you some sort of job security. It's going to empower you a little bit more. Whether or not you like to believe it, we all can agree with that position that we would favor that and go ahead and open up the floodgates. And that's what that's what you've had for a long time now. And the reality is is that even though you and I could believe that for them coming into this country was just like our ancestors came into this country with that opportunity of hope and freedom. It's just it's it's diminished, folks. It's gone. There is absolutely nothing here to gain. You're setting up for a huge, huge war. And I think that one thing that's worth noting between what we're seeing with what our situation is now and what 10, 20 years out, where we're going to really have a all all out war is just the the young generation take trying to support the old generation because uh, people most people don't realize that majority of this country is about to be senior citizens. And the reality is, is that they don't have the money to retire and help themselves out. And now you've got a young generation that has absolutely no money in their pocket. In fact, they're in debt, probably about 50 grand ahead. 
And uh, now we have to support these people that are wanting to retire, and uh, there's no money left, folks. Yep. It's all over. The music is about to stop. <laughs> and not to be doom and gloom, but we're we're being very realistic with our with our analysis here, and it's um, it's 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 one of those ideas that you have to you have to at least acknowledge the fact that um, oh my gosh, we got a weird call here. I, um, I just saw Josh Wiley jump on, but uh, I guess he went away. But um, this is a weird call. Let's see what this is. Um, stand by, everybody. we got some weird numbers coming up here. Caller, you are on the air. Hello. Okay. It must be a listener. All right. So sorry about that. But, um, you know, back to what we were saying before. It's, it's this idea that um, – that we can all, you know, get along together, and uh, yes, that's the case. But when you're when you're talking about a social security system that doesn't have um, anything set up um, for the long term, there is no social security trust fund. There is no there is no money in the bank, people. It's it's a month by month basis. And once, as Alan pointed out, once these people get older, now we're running into a real catastrophe. And then it's going to be let's turn to the state for help. And speaking of the state, let's turn to Josh Wiley for some help on this topic. As Josh drives through what used to be, I guess, uh, Ohio, um, which is now, um, you know, tattle on your neighbor. Hey, make sure you report those people for um, uh, drug-impaired driving, Josh. Make sure you report those guys. Um, Do we have you? Josh, are you there? Josh, are you there? You're going to have to call back in for some reason this is not – uh, the switchboard's not activating here. So if you can call back in, that'd be awesome. I'm going to hang up on you. Okay, I don't know who this is, so... You're gone, too. All right. We're creating a whole bunch of different... Let me let me go ahead and jump into this article, and this is actually what Alan and I were talking about. So let me see if I can pull this up here really quickly. Um, it is about... The, the true danger of what we face, and um, sorry, we're having some technical issues here on Blog Talk, so if you guys can hear me, that's great. If you can't, um, I'm recording this, so we'll be able to upload it. And this is by Martin Armstrong. It came out of Infowars.com, but the guy makes a lot of great points, and it says, The greatest problem that we have is misinformation. People simply don't comprehend why and how the economic policies of the post-war era are imploding. This whole agenda of socialism has been sold as a utopian idea that the state is there for people, yet it is run by lawyers following their own self-interest. Very, very true. Uh, the, the pensions created by for the create for those in government to drive down to drive the cost of government up exponentially with time. The political forces blame the rich and merely create class warfare and no, no resolution for the future. Even confiscating all the wealth of the so-called rich wouldn't sustain the system. Very, very true. Uh, consequently, we have uh, we have a crash and burn all over again. The Guardian reported that some 50,000 people marched in London to protest against austerity, which they're trying to push here. You know, Zuckerberg and all these other jacklegs that are multi-billionaires are trying to push austerity measures on America. And, I, and once again, austerity, people, is not what you want here in America, I promise you. It is not going to make anybody more well-off. It is actually going to, to turn your country upside down. If you look at Greece, if you look at Spain, and look at what they went through, and I'll actually have Alan recap his, uh, his visit over to, to, uh, to Europe because he saw it firsthand, and this was a couple of years ago when the downturn was just starting to, starting to hit its stride. So, And uh, I guess we lost Josh. I mean, he's – I guess um, – he was in a bad cell area, so hopefully Josh will call back here in a minute. And it says, who is really responsible for the mess in this country? Is it the Polish fruit pickers or the Nigerian nurses, question mark? Or is it the bankers who have plunged it into an economic disaster or the tax evaders? Or is it just selective anger? He says, the exploitation by the bankers has been a real disaster. They have their own worst en- they've been their own worst enemy, and in the end, they have become the symbol that inspires class warfare, if not revolution. They do not represent; they are not representatives of those who produce jobs. They are merely those who want to trade with other people's money for free. Exactly. This is not about, you know, empowering the society and building it up. It is about them getting the best deal. They are at the at their heart. They are businessmen, and they are ruthless businessmen. 
And if you guys haven't figured that out, you need to learn that because they have no empathy for you. And if you're ignorant or if you're nescient, they say that that's your problem, so you deal with it. It's like T. Boone Pickens said, if you think water is free, get ready because I'm going to charge you for it, basically, was what he was stating. He said when they win, if there are, are um, by any losers, they are passed to the taxpayers. Bankers, um, bankers should be bankers, not hedge fund managers who keep 100% of their profits and using other people's savings. The repeal of Glass-Steagall was the final straw that broke the camel's back of the world economy. It was the single worst act that had ever been done, and, praying, uh, and now we are paying for the price in spades. The collapse of 2007 wiped out even the liquidity of the markets. The second worst act was the creation of the euro and the real goal of federalization of Europe from the onset. The undermine, that undermined the entire European banking system and led to a serious undermining of the entire global economy, of course. But that's what it's about, people. It's about consolidation and control. It is about nothing more than that. The solutions from politicians are always the same. Grab more power. Absolutely. We're in a downward spiral for liberty, and how far we have gone down this path in the future will be determined by the people. And if they at least rise up and see this is not class warfare, that it is people against the government. This is why I can say career politicians are dangerous, for they are not, for they can be bought the way of as easy as the Clintons and open the floodgates for the bankers. This is not going to end pretty. The only question is, does society wake up? How, just how <coughs> high will the price have to go before before we're, we have to pay? Will the blame be the rich and the idiots will cheer and get them, or will it happen to where there is no more wealth to hunt? We will end up with a communist state by default, no wealth, and the career politicians who blame everyone else but themselves. Now, I would disagree with we're going to end up with a communist state because that's kind of a misleading um, argument. That doesn't necessarily happen, but what you do have is that you always have a political society that is worse than the one that crashes. And what I mean by that is if we have a if we have a democratic republic here now, if this system crashes, what will be what will be next? It will not be a restoration of a democratic republic. It will be more of the long more along the lines of fascism. As we see the rise of fascism in Europe, we see the rise of fascism in the Ukraine and all these other nation states. The reason that fascism is so popular is because it promises so much with the same kind of BS flavor that you get from communism, but um, you know the idea that the state and everybody else can control the economy along with corporations is an absolutely absurd idea. But people like it because, once again, they can't think of things in big picture. They think of things in how they um, revolve around their own life, and, and then I'm going to turn it over to Alan because this is a very important point to understand. The reason that socialism, for all of you liberals out there, the reason it's so attractive to you is because it's something that you can apply in your daily life, and it works. When you talk about your family, a socialist or communist society works incredibly well. When you talk about it on a large scale, it is an outright disaster. Why? Because there's different interests from different people, and you as an intellectual should, or a faux intellectual should understand that and explain to yourself that, hey… Maybe this idea is a microcosm of, of economics and expound it out into a bigger and better thing doesn't necessarily work because interests are different. And Alan, why don't you um, speak to a little bit of what I just ranted and raved about right there? <laughs> you definitely hit on a lot, but uh, you definitely brought up some very good points. I definitely um, – I don't know. I've always been back and forth because you know I, I read a little bit about communism in college. Max Weber, Karl Marx, these guys were geniuses, and they definitely oh, funded by the British Empire, by the way, or the um, or the Anglo-American establishment at least. Both, of course, both both financed by the British East India Company. But never mind that. No, that's all right. But they um, they made a good case for it. it's like, hey, if you create a solid working class. Uh, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, they can coincide, and there can be a good cause for everyone. Anybody that feels like they're getting shortchanged can have the comfort of knowing that their, their common man is in the exact same boat and that the pressures or the personal belongings or the 
I don't know, jealousy factors all kind of levels out in a sense because you're working towards a greater good and it's all behind nationalism, right? Nationalism is definitely the pathway to uh, to a fascist society. Um, ask Hitler if you have any doubts. But I um, I definitely would like to try and draw a picture for the common the common man at home listening or the woman there with uh, with their child. You know, just anyone listening out there, think about an analogy that was talked to talked about in college with my uh, sociology professor um, in explaining kind of the breakdown in in an individual's mindset when when thinking which way to go as far as uh, a communist society or uh, more of a free free market capitalist society. Not that ours is that much better, but here's a fundamental difference in kind of the the psyche of it. If If you take a school and the school's deciding on whether or not they want to implement a dress code to where uniforms are mandatory, for the students. Let's think about the pros and cons for it. I thought, well, first and foremost, that that it's a tremendous con because it takes away your your personal freedom. It takes away your your right that you feel like we're entitled to that the founding fathers expressed that you have the right to express yourself in the way you want to and that, you know, no one can really prevent you from doing that. But um as long as it's done in a reasonable fashion and you don't harm or affect anyone else next to you. But a huge, huge um, counter that's brought up with that argument is the fact that, hey, what about this idea or this concept that it builds team unity? It takes away the pressure from the kid as far as fitting in. It takes away the pressure from maybe a girl seeing uh, um, one of her classmates have an outfit or a dress that she cannot afford. And she all of a sudden has this envy, this jealousy, and it's, it's it's a... it's a fear or if it's a, a mindset that you can take away by just implementing that they mandatory wear this, you know, every day, routine, routine, routine. It's, I don't know, it's it's one of those things that you think, well, it would do good for the school as far as building team spirit and that, that sense of unity, that nationalism that uh, is spoken on a grand scale. But at the same time, it's like, what does it really do? It takes away your ability to think for yourself. It takes away your ability to express yourself. And you all of a sudden feel like you're, having to do something that you not necessarily want to do after it's been two or three years of wearing the exact same outfit every single day. Anybody out there that has a job where you wear the exact same outfit, I worked at a country club for years and years. I wore the exact same shirt. I wore the exact same shorts in the summertime or the pants in the wintertime every day. After two or three years, I felt so, so mentally defeated with the idea of the concept that I had to wear a name tag, that I had to wear this blue hat, that I had to wear this red shirt, because that were that that was the colors of the club, and that was what I was what I stood for. But the reality is, is that I would have loved to have had the time or opportunity to wear something different, to be something more professional, you know, to to go out there and try and look better. Just, but it just over time it takes away your thought to think independently, and that's kind of what the idea, or the concept that Max Weber and Karl Marx were talking about is that you don't need that in your life. You don't need that. We'll create that for you. We'll find what you need in life. And the reality is that there's no way. There's absolutely no way that you can tell some person what to think or do over a length of time. You might be able to control them in the short run, but in the long term, never. And I think that that's what we're seeing now. Is, um, it was a, that was a really great analogy of, of communism versus a free state. When you're, when you're looking at the, the ideas of individual um, rights and then, once again, the collective, not necessarily the collectivism, um, once again, staying away from isms, but the idea of the individuals making up a collective is a great idea. But now we're at a point in, um, in our culture where um, media spoon-feeds us this idea that uh, acceptance is, um, is what Americans are all about. It's just all about acceptance. Just accept people for who they are. And if you think back to the way that you were schooled, everybody, think back to your public schooling education if you are public schooled. Um, this is stuff that has been taught to you for the past 15,000 hours that you're in public school, and that is we need to share. We need to have a group discussion. We need to have group projects. There's a reason that all of these things came into play. It wasn't just some magic idea or magic notion that they were like, wait a minute, maybe we should try to get kids to play along better together. No, it was an idea to condition you to accept something like socialism. Because if they can condition you from an early age and they can push you through this schooling system over 15,000 hours, 
By the time that you get to be an adult, you don't have this idea of what, of what it's like to be an individual. You don't have this idea because it seems phony to you. Everything that you've always done has been about the group. Everything that you've always done has been about somebody else. It's always about you know, doing the greater good for the community or for somebody other than yourself. Now, I'm not saying to take the Ayn Rand uh, approach to where everything is about you know, the, the glorification of the self or the ego, and <laughs> you've got to push all the way through that and have some kind of hyper – capitalistic state i think i think it's really i think it's really you know, let's be honest i think it's really shitty that we can't come up with a better debate of whether it's just communism or capitalism now can't we create something new can't we create something or at least a conversation where it's something new or can't we just create how about this can't we create little mini societies as i've heard a lot of voluntarists talk about before where you create a mini society, like in this society, we are a capitalistic society, and in this society, we are a communistic society. And so everybody would have the opportunity to go and, and basically for themselves choose which kind of society you would like to live in. And that would eliminate this idea that we all have to do one thing. And once again, getting back to the overarching theme of the show, nationalism is terrifying because what I saw and what my friend Alan who's sitting right next to me saw – was American nationalism at its finest? We went and watched the World Cup at a um, at a uh, at a bar, and it was um, I don't know. He he got there at halftime. I was watching the game, but what really was funny was the Americans were playing Germany, and it really didn't matter what happened. Of course, if the Americans tie, they go on. If they win, they go on. But the pivotal game was the game that was being played against um, against uh, Portugal and Ghana. And what the American public – what I saw was a, was a microcosm of how we think here in America, not myself personally, but a, a lot of people. And I, I did think like this for a long time, so I'm not poo-pooing the idea. Once again, the American exceptionalism idea. You know, By the time the Portugal game was kind of settled with about 15 minutes to play, the U.S. was going to go in, and they were going to move on. But – as, as Portugal scored and as Ghana scored, I would cheer because I understood the ramifications to my country or to my, to my um, people in uniforms that represent my nation state you know, for them to get the, the reward of moving on to the next round. I understood that, but everybody in the bar heads because they didn't understand why I was cheering about some other game that wasn't the USA. So you <laughs> Not really, a clue. Ed, not a clue. And so it really is a microcosm of our society that we're so egocentric, that we're so nationalistically centric, that it's all about what's America going to do? What's America going to do about immigration? What is America going to do about Iraq? What is America going to Hey, I got an idea. Quit getting involved in other shit. How about we just kind of figure stuff out here because we're going to run into a really, really big problem, and it's going to be an issue that's going to affect you monetarily. It's going to affect your savings. It's going to affect your future. It's going to affect your children. You should be worried about that, not worried about you know that we're all Americans like Nancy Pelosi says. And here, I'm going to play this clip for you guys, and then we can kind of expound on this. This is five minutes, so everybody enjoy this. This is the selling of your children's slavery, basically. If you understand where – this is the this is the selling of slavery by a politician who is a career politician, by the way, and has no interest in in having anything turn out better for you. It is all about what they can get and what their party gets, and it's all a big game. It's all a big con, everybody. So here we go, Miss Nancy Pelosi, and uh, if you've got your barf bags, people, you might want to have them handy. <laughs> Stand by, we're buffering. And we might have some audio issues, but I'm not sure. Stand by, everyone. Let's see if we can get audio. I've been, I'm pleased to visit the area, whether it's McAllen, whether it's Laredo, whether it was El Paso, now in Brownsville, on a number of occasions. And he has reinforced the idea that anyone who comes here sees that this is a community with a border going through it. And this crisis, that some call it crisis, we have to view as an opportunity. This morning we had the pleasure, I would say pleasure if it were under other circumstances, but we had the privilege of meeting with Bishop Forrest uh, and other advocates. I said at the time that I used the 
a bishop's statement that was presented to the Judiciary Committee earlier this week by uh, the Bishop uh, Sites of El Paso, uh, that that is the path. It's about treating people with respect. What we just saw was so stunning. If you believe, as we do, that every child, every person has a spark of divinity in them and is therefore worthy of respect, what we saw in those rooms was dazzling, sparkling array of God's children worthy of It's dazzling and sparkling to watch people influx into your country and absolutely bankrupt your nation, Alan. I wish we all could have been there to see the ethos. Respect. So we have to use, as was said this morning, the, the crisis that some view as a crisis, and it does have crisis uh, at, uh, qualities, as an opportunity to show who we are as Americans. There it is. There's the celebrity. Just look. Just be, just be reasonable. And this is what you see out of the extreme authoritarian left. Everything's reasonable. Listen, gun control is reasonable. Just be reasonable about this. I mean, these are people. Just be reasonable about them coming in and, and, and in waves. And, and it's not skilled laborers like we said before. They're criminals. They're children that are unaccompanied. This is not good. But no, just be reasonable. Alan, have a heart. There is no iron team. We all know this. Everything is awesome. That we do respect people for their dignity and worth that we know how to get the job done that relates to, again, stopping trafficking because that's one of the uh, fundamentals, the, Bil the Wilberforce Law. We have the law that established the Department of Homeland Security. We have the Flores decision. So with the balance that we're trying to create is to move these kids, these young people, these families as quickly as possible into another setting. We have to do it in a way that meets certain standards and in our rush not uh, do the best we can for them. I'm a mother of five. I have nine grandchildren. Oh, here comes the cell. Oh, kids. I wish that I could take all those children home with me. See, it's all about the kids. Psychological warfare. Get I don't ready. know if it's what the rules about it all are, but I wish that you could all see what we saw today and what Congressman Bella and Congressman Hinojosa saw yesterday in McAllen. It almost looks like she's trying Perhaps to cry, folks, but she physically cannot. I will take home with me, and I wish I could take him, too. She wishes she could take him all home with her, Alan. With the virus and then in isolation, all by himself. But that's for his safety and for the safety of others. Nonetheless, nonetheless, we have to address the three points that Congressman Bella made, and one of them is to... Uh, work with our Central American neighbors, to be good neighbors. We're all Americans in this hemisphere, North and South. Terrifying, 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 North American Union, that's a conspiracy theory. America, to work together to improve the situation in those countries so that the danger is not so keen, uh, to be careful about... Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you quit sending the CIA down there to overthrow nation states that aren't really playing ball with you guys? That would be a good start because that's what we've done in the past over the 1980s and the early 1990s. Gee, I wonder why everybody hates us. Working together and spying do not coincide, Miss Pelosi. <laughs> that's, look, that's them helping you, Alan. If they don't watch you, you might go off the rails and actually do something for yourself. All right, we're not even going to finish. Well, actually, let's no, finish. No, no, give her, give her her five minutes. She did, right. She's earned it, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I hope everybody kept their breakfast down, but we're moving right along here. And we're going to call Josh Wiley, and so uh, uh, everybody, will get, everybody will get to hear a little bit of Pachelbel in D, or Canon in D, as we call Josh Wiley. Go ahead. I'm impressed she came to Texas. I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw Nancy Pelosi in Texas. I know that she rips on. The state for no, they're going to turn pretty blue. much everything, but oh yeah, but they're going to turn it blue. They've already I, said it. I, I tip my cap to her. She at least still knows where it is. All right. The, the trafficking issue, which is a concern to all of us wherever it happens in the world, and on our border, I respond. Whoa, now, whoa, wait a minute. Did you just say that drug trafficking is a concern of ours? Yeah, because we don't want anybody to be cutting in on our game.
What are you talking about, Nancy Pelosi? The CIA runs all the drugs out of Afghanistan. You guys are delusional. A responsibility to do so in a way that is in the best interest of the children. Oh. I knew it was coming. The children. I knew it was coming. I knew it. The sounds of music. That's what it. about the children? Oh, psychological warfare at its best, everybody. It is. It is scary to think that uh, the scary, you know, the, the main crisis that's going on 30, 30, maybe less than 30 kilometers away from her right now is the drug crisis right now. People are dying every single day, and she just gives a one-liner in this speech. It's we more just gotta, about you got to you got to be about the kids, the man. people that get north of the Rio Grande. Let's talk about how we take care of them, and not about the insane war that I'm funding. That's going on on the other side of the river. Don't worry about it, man. Everything's fine. Best interest determination. Nobody knows about all of this more and better than Sister Pimentel. You know her. We think of her as an angel. She teaches us about what the actual um, ramifications are of public policy. We're here to thank the Border Patrol. think they're doing the best they can under the circumstances. Oh, you mean like not having anybody at the border and just leaving them wide open and whatever? They have handled this well, but the facilities just do not uh, meet the need, and we have to be helpful. We thank the Department of Defense for what they're doing, the Department of HHS, but the purpose of my visit was to see what can we in Congress do to help to honor the traditions of our country, to respect the dignity and worth of every person, to do so in a way that is not the fastest, but the best in the most, um, uh, the, the shortest period of time. So I thank, again, my colleague. Hon- okay, that was, the most, um, that was the most asinine thing I've ever heard. We need to respect what the founders said as we go to war planet, which our founders said never to do, as we let the borders open up, which they actually told us that that was going to cause an influx in society and would probably crush it if you don't get like-minded people in here. But never mind that. Listen, it's about the kids, the children, the children. (laughs) Nancy Pelosi, you make me want to vomit. All right, we're going to call Josh Wiley, so everybody get ready for some Paco Bell or Canon ND. I can't remember. Call failed. It was not answered, but here it comes. Yo. Welcome to NPR Radio, Josh Wiley. Thank you for your classical introduction. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Did you Have you been listening to this Nancy Pelosi stuff, or, did, um, or have you not been able to stream broadcast? Because I, I, I've been a little busy this past week, but even when I'm not, I try not to listen to Nancy Pelosi speak ever. <laughs> so you'll have to inform me. No, no, no. It's really just propaganda. And my friend Alan here with us so, uh, in studio, and uh, we just broke down the propaganda, once again, decoding propaganda for you people. I actually am going to cut these segments up and show them to um, – and I, now that I've got a little bit of time on my hands, I'm going to actually upgrade the website, everybody, and I'm going to start posting some stuff because i got some time on my hands. But everybody, Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution on his way back from Porkfest. Josh, give us the good, bad, and the ugly of Porkfest, and then we'll talk about um, – briefly talk about the uh, the topic for the show today is the, the dangers of nationalism. So go ahead, buddy. Oh, well, uh, I, I met Richard Andrew Grove of oh, TragedyAndHope.com, who has been a constant inspiration for me uh, and a huge uh, you know contributor to my ideological development over the past few years. Uh, so, so that was really cool. Uh, Porkfest as a whole um, – it's always nice to sit down with individual like minds and and discuss things uh, that you don't normally get to discuss outside of uh, outside of places like uh, like that. Uh, that being said, um, I have become. This has been a process, but this year's Port Fest was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I've become deeply disturbed by the religion of anarcho-capitalism and this this ideal of almost uh, instead of treating people. Uh, as uh, as a move, as individuals, they treat this as a as a collective, and I think that you know the the term anarcho-capitalist society, you know, kind of uh, spells that out for you. Anarchy is something that 
that you know in your heart and your mind it's not something that, that you force upon others, right? Isn't that, a, isn't that an oxymoron, an anarcho-capitalist society? Isn't it, though? But, um, yeah, but, that, but that's a term that's often used. So, so I mean, so obviously we have the. I guess it's kind of trends back to what we were talking about earlier, and the, and the, and the people that fall in love with the idea of a nation state, or they fall in love with this idea, whether it's socialism, communism, anarcho-capitalism. I made a, um, I made a better slur here during the middle of the broadcast and said, hey, why can't we come up with something that's different? Why do we have to go into the, one of these camps that already has been pre-established? And 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 uh, Alan did a great job of breaking down communism versus free market. And um, we talked about, and we also mentioned that um, most of the people that that, that write um, dogmatic, uh, ideological, you know, textbooks are people funded by either oligarchs or empires. I mean, that that goes for the Mises Institute as well, though, right? Hundred percent, absolutely. And that's what you know. We're trying to flush it out, and it's like we we don't have. I don't have a. Um, I don't have the, the hundred thousand dollar idea, everybody. But we at least need to have a dialogue and understand where these um, ideas come from and who starts propagating these ideas so that we can understand that, hey, this may be a bad idea. This may be propaganda. This may be something that they're using in order to steer you into a certain direction. So just be leery, right? Absolutely, or even taking good ideas and using them you know, for, for centralized and, and, and insidious purposes. I would agree 100%. So what are your thoughts? we got eight minutes, man, and I'm sorry to get you in late, but um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, American uh, nationalism, a.k.a. American exceptionalism? Oh, well, I mean, obviously I find uh, nationalism in all of its forms deeply disturbing. I think the unique brand of American uh, nationalism, this kind of uh, sick soup of uh, the worst of, of both totalitarianism in terms of, of social collectivism as well as uh, corporate fascism, uh, is is something that was was almost unknown to the world before or before World War II. It's a very post uh, you know post great quote unquote great war invention, uh, and I think that that in part comes from America's uh, wholesale adoption of and and funding before of of many you know communists and and the exportation of, of Nazis, both scientists and military tacticians. Uh, from Nazi Germany to places like NASA and the Central Intelligence Agency, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just, uh, and I know you feel the same way, Jake. It's almost, it's, it's hard to believe that people still feel that way in the 21st century. I was, I had a conversation with a, with a guy at Forks Fest who, uh, you know, was, was, in, was in the Army. And uh, he was just telling me all these, these horrible, disturbing things that, that he did to other human beings. Uh, and, he's, you know, every single one of those, those kills still haunt him uh, that, that he was forced to forced to do in Iraq, and, and we agreed it all boils down to one thing. Uh, we're a country of, of mental children, of deeply psychologically damaged people uh, who are looking for mommies and daddies who have horrible abandonment issues, and, uh, and the state is, is, is the eternal mommy, the eternal daddy. It's the, it's the teacher that paid attention to you when all others ignored you, or, uh, you know, the... The, the parent that, that gave you candy when the other one beat you, you know? No, that's, that's exactly what we were talking about on the show, and it's kind of this idea that that's why this immigration thing is such a, a hot-button issue because people – it's not just being accepting of another individual human being. It's, it's about the idea that these people are coming in. The majority of them are either mothers or, or children or gangbangers or things of that nature. So that's not the, the ideal um, people to come in and lift up a society. But what they're doing is they're bringing these kids over, and some of the kids are coming on their own chaperone. And so they're going to fall under the idea and be raised by the state and then go to their public schooling and get their brainwashing for 15 or 20,000 hours. And, and you've created an entire class – and once again, they're not coming from a free society, from a free state to where they understand what it's like to have individual liberty and individual responsibility. They're coming from a collective estate or they're coming from a war-torn state, mainly because the CIA probably went in and overthrew your government every time they put somebody good in there or they blew them up in a helicopter or something like that, whatever. But, um, but that's what we we're – We're not even about. good, but, but oppositional. Right, exactly. That, I should have clarified that. So, um, yeah, go ahead and, and comment on that, and then I'm going to give Alan a, a couple words, and we'll, we'll wrap up the show. But, um, we'll, sure thing. I mean, I, mean uh, I, I think I, it's I just think interesting, interesting that, you know, uh, we don't hear a lot about the mass exodus 
of, you know, supposed illegal immigrants from America back to their home country uh, in recent years because, uh, you know, as, as the American empire does start to decay, these people are coming here and finding that this cheap labor that used to be readily abundant, you know, uh, all, all of these, you know, privileged, uh, privileged Americans who previously would have refused to take these jobs are now having to take them uh, as, as a means of necessity, even with the ever-expanding welfare state. Um, so, I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to add that because I think it is uh, an interesting kind of piece of the puzzle in, in terms of the, you know, the borderless society that's being, you know, created here. Oh, and in Nancy Pelosi's speech, she also said that we're all America, <laughs> South America, but, you know, Josh, the European or the North American Union, that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, it, it never happens. All right, um, Alan, we got four minutes. Uh, your final thoughts on, on the show today and, and any other takeaways for the guests? We touched on a lot. I want to reiterate just how when you build a nationalism society, it takes a lot of time. You look at how long it took for Hitler to rise to power. You look at Russia and how long the formation it took from them going from the Tsar to the uh, pure communist state. It takes an entire generation. So by funding these funding these kids in the educational system by brainwashing them. You've got to let them grow and develop so when they become the mass the mass population, you basically have your uh, your ticket to uh, <laughs> your society in which the state or the centralized form of government has to uh, to play with. And that's where we're at pretty much. I'd say we're probably in the sixth or seventh inning of it, but it's, uh, it's going to be a disastrous uh, end of the game once we get to that point. But uh, in the meantime, you just got to be thankful for what you have and just continue to realize that there is a way to fight it, and that is to educate yourself, question authority, and believe in what you can do. All right, and uh, Josh, we got three minutes left. Any any final thoughts? Uh, any thoughts on um, on um, Porkfest as a whole? Um, once again, the good, bad, and the ugly, and then I'll wrap up the show. Uh, you know what? It's it's something that I feel like everyone should experience at least once in their life if they have if they have the means to do so. Um, but but do so with a critical eye. You know, don't. Don't become the thing that, that you laud so much because there is this, there is a, a huge propensity when you're in groups of my, like-minded people uh, towards groupthink. And it's, it's, uh, it's a propensity that exists uh, even within anarchy. In fact, potentially even more so in anarchy because these are people that have supposedly come out of the cave in Plato's uh, allegory in the Republic uh, and, think, and think they are truly enlightened and there's nothing else, right? So we, I, I would like to elaborate this uh, on this a little bit more when we've got more time. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Jake. Yeah, we'll do we'll do um, we'll do a show Thursday night, and uh, everybody tune in. Sorry, I haven't been kind of missing the ball on the Thursday and Sunday night shows. It's just been a, a hectic personal life for me. So uh, the radio show squared away. So thank you, John Kelly, for the time, man. We will um, hopefully see you on Thursday, and I'll, I'll chat with you later on today once you get back. I'm sure. Yeah, have a good one, guys. All right, so um, so that's it. We um, my final thoughts on the show is just um, once again, whether you're you're looking at the the idea of communism, um, the idea of capitalism, the idea of anything, um, any kind of ism, make sure that you understand that um, you don't fall under somebody else's um, dogma. That you yourself create your own idea and that you have your own thoughts. Because what, what we're running into is the idea that that sounds good. I'm going to go with that, and that's what we're doing, and we're just kind of moving along. No. Not really using critical thinking, not using the trivium method, not using these things that can really help you uh, see through the lies like we did with Nancy Pelosi and all of these little things that she was doing by referencing the children and talking about kids and her kids and grandkids. You know, It's not about that. You have to pull back from the bigger picture, and once again – as you look at yourself and your own society and your in your microscopic world, don't try to expound that into a into a macro world because typically it doesn't. Last but not least, Hitler said that anytime you're going to make them lie, make a lie so big because people tell lies every day in their day to day life, and they could tell little lies and they understand little lies, but they would never tell a big lie, and that's why government always tells you big lies. Because they know you as the individual would never think to lie to somebody that big, like stealing somebody's car, 
you know, driving it to your house, getting out, and they followed you the entire way home and going, no, what are you talking about, man? This is my car. This is not, this is not your car. So got a little song for everybody. Um, this has been kind of So thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and we will see you on Thursday night. Um, so protect the airwaves, everybody. Individualistic. Greatest movie ever. Absolutely. Everything is awesome.